Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Since it's a holiday here in the United States, I'm doing a shorter bonus episode this week. After my conversation with Adam that you heard last week, we ended up talking for about another hour. Some of this is a rehash of my own health history, and some of it is a more theoretical conversation about the diagnostic challenges that are unique to chronic illness and what the future might look like. I would also like to take a minute to celebrate two new reviews on the Canadian iTunes store. I just learned that reviews only show up in their country of origin, which I think is kind of strange, but there you go. LB said, an enlightening listen, whether you live with chronic illness or not. Great interviews, great work, highly recommend. And RWJ Boone said, an exceptional podcast talking to people about an important overlooked part of medicine, health, and living. Thank you so much, friends. And in this case, I think these are both from friends. So thank you for listening to this thing that I'm making for chronically ill people. Uh, Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. If you don't mind me asking, like, Mm -hmm. I know that, like, I'm sure your journey is equally long and detailed as mine, but I'm curious what you've experienced that led you to do this. Cause this is something I've thought about before. Like I think a podcast like this would be mm-hmm. incredibly valuable. Yeah. So yeah, mine, I talked, I got one of my friends who is not sick to interview me and I talked, I fully talked for two hours. Yeah. Um, but I basically, I mean, I have been weirdly fatigued without any kind of severe, severe crashes. Like I didn't I'd go to the doctor for it a lot. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I coped like through most of my twenties. I think I was way overextended. So I was working full time and I was volunteering all the time. And it, I like, at first I just had a really, well, I had had fatigue always and ignored it. Um, and then I started to get just a really bad rash. That was like mm-hmm. the thing that happened for me. Um, and I don't know, the doctor gave me like hydrocortisone cream and then yeah. something else. I went through this whole thing. And then I went to a dermatologist who told me it was scabies, which it wasn't. <laughs> It was like all this stupid stuff. And so I got for one of many times to that frustration point where I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do a dietary intervention because I don't right. know. I don't know what other questions to ask and I don't know what else sure, to do. Yeah. And I think that time I did something called the candida diet, which okay, like it's like, it's basically a low carb diet um, meant to target. It's, it's in that family of like, okay, your intestines are overgrown with yeast. It's one yeah, of those. Yeah, 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 like internet things that I have zero. I don't care. I don't care if it's real or not. <laughs> but I did yeah. it, and it really, really helped very quickly. But um, like my rash went away completely, and I was at a point where I was scratching so much that I bled every single day. Um, and so that really helped. But it involved I stopped drinking completely, and I stopped drinking caffeine completely, and and during that time, I also started a new job. So I had been working somewhere that I was in a co-working space and I basically worked lying down like 50% of the time because there were a lot of lounge areas. And so it was socially appropriate to work lying down 50% yeah. of the time. But the truth that I did not realize was that I really needed to work lying down 50% yeah, of the time. Yeah. And so all at once I stopped drinking, which is really good at masking symptoms. And I stopped having caffeine, which is really good at masking symptoms. And I started working at an office where I had to like sit at a desk from nine to five, which normal people can normally do. And I just started to have a really rapid health collapse. So it was like, first I was just going home and going to sleep as soon as I got home. And like, I, I do have syncope. So I do, I have fainted before from other things, but it was like, I would, if I stayed up past nine 30, I would start to black out. Like my body was just not, not on board with being awake past nine 30. Yeah. And, um, and I just kind of like start to melt. I don't even know how else to describe it, but, um, so I, and this was a little bit over two years ago. So it was, it was kind of like, I'd had all this vague stuff forever. And also I had really bad mono in high school. Um, and I am hyper aware of my lymph nodes because my neck lymph nodes were swollen at that point. And so all through my twenties, if I didn't sleep well, I would have like tremendous pain in my lymph nodes. But I just thought that's what being tired felt like. Yeah. 
you know, and this is like one of those language things. So I'd be like, yeah, I'm really tired. I didn't get much sleep last night. My neck is throbbing. Yeah. And people are like, <laughs> oh, yeah, totally throbbing yeah. neck tired. I know what you mean. Uh, and so I was able to two years ago take my job remote somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, I'm going to really focus on this. And I. I think at that point I went to see like a functional medicine person and she put me up, like ran a ton of tests. And so I was, it was partly like, okay, here's a bunch of supplements because your hormones are all fucked up and your, everything is fucked up. Um, and I went on a prescription strength and a bunch actually of prescription strength antifungals because she was like, well, if the candida diet worked before, then maybe that's a piece of it. Um, and that kind of helped because I was at a point where I was sleeping probably 12 hours a night and then two or three hours during the day. Every You're day, getting so diagnosed with depression so often. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And and for me, I'm like when my my dad died when I was 22, and I like was deeply grieving, and that was a really difficult mental health time for me. And so, at this point, two years ago, it was really hard to be like, listen, I have experienced poor mental health. Right. My mental health feels fine. I cannot get out of bed for more than seven hours a day. Yeah. Like. These aren't the same thing. Please don't tell yeah. me that. Um, and so I, and I actually, this is as, a, and as an aside, a reason that I think that therapy can be very helpful because it's, I did start to see a therapist and she, and I was would kind of talking about it, her and I was more functional for a while after all the antifungals. So I wasn't napping all the time. Uh, and I moved into a new house and she was like, Hey, I've known you for a few months now and I've heard you talk about this stuff and you sound really uncertain about whether it's a mental health issue or whether it's a physical health issue. And she was like, I just want you to know that I don't pick up any signs of mental illness. Like Mm. what you are describing, although I understand that you don't know how to describe it or what to attribute it to, but like, I'm pretty confident that you're describing something physical. Yeah. Um, And then I moved into a new house. My husband and I rented a house. We were living in San Francisco and like, all of, and we went away for a week in June of like a year and a bit ago. So 15 months ago. Right. And we went away for a week and we came back to the house and I like worst collapse ever. Like I couldn't, I would go to the couch in the daytime and kind of watch TV with my eyes closed. And some days I could go to the bathroom by myself and some days I needed to be walked to the bathroom. Like I couldn't physically kind of navigate that or get off the couch by myself. Uh, and that lasted for a week or two and then slowly improved but it was like I would still sometimes we'd walk to the grocery store and I would like kind of just pop out of it and I was mentally foggy and I was physically exhausted just body tired um and I started I got a tremor I started to shake all the time and I had oh and I had skin pain skin pain started earlier just like which I know what skin pain is called and now I can't remember but um, there is a medical term for it. Yeah, but it just I means like fortunate enough not to have to learn it. Yeah, it, um, allodynia. It's called allodynia. allodynia. But it's just like your skin hurts. Yeah, I don't have a better way to describe it. That had started a year before this started. So if I didn't sleep very well or if I pushed myself too hard, so like at a friend's wedding when I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna eat whatever I want and I'm gonna drink and I'm gonna act like all these normal people who can go to weddings." Yeah. And like drink Red Bull to get through it. And it was like all my skin on my thighs just felt like it was bruised. Yeah. Like it's like touching a bruise, but everywhere and there's no bruise. And then it would yeah. spread up my torso. So I'm sure you got like fibromyalgia too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so that was happening and that had gotten worse. And then my joints were really swollen in my hands. This is last summer. And so I went back to my like insurance doctor, my primary care physician, because the functional medicine person was someone I had paid like out of pocket there and out of network person for sure. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my primary care physician. And I did it. I like wrote out the list and I was like, I am visibly shaking. I can barely walk. Like I have been brushed off by doctors for since forever. And I've had other weird stuff. I've had a chronic sinus infection for years. Just like all of these little things that I've been tested for. I've had neck x-rays. I've had whatever since I was a kid. But nothing has ever meant anything, and it's always been something that I could manage, and it's no longer manageable. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, okay. So she ran whatever their standard test panel was, which was very small. It was an HMO. Um, just like, everything looks good. And so I, I think she had just said, like, you should be hardened by the fact that all of your numbers are normal. Yeah, I've gotten that a lot. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not hardened. And yeah. also, like, and, and I was like, I don't. I don't know what to ask for because I had kind of wondered about autoimmune, like all of the usual suspects, right? Like I'd wondered, do I have an autoimmune disease? And all of those numbers had been in range. And 
before that had gone into some fringy things like gosh now adrenal adrenal fatigue which is yeah, like yeah that's that's a really it's a good one. one yeah it's a good one but like my certainly my hormones were fucked up in that way um yeah. but so i was like i don't know even what to ask you for um yeah. so i had said someone suggested was like well why don't you ask her as a doctor what would she do like what if she was in this position if you describe it again and what would she do so i was like okay so if you were shaking and in pain and physically found it difficult to walk and like what would you do and what would you tell you like and you couldn't work what would you do she was like well I guess I'd talk to my employer I was like I'm not asking you for career advice I'm asking you for medical advice and she was like okay well why don't you come back in and then I like went through it again and she was like, okay, well, I think I did an at-home sleep test. And she was like, let's um, let's do a hand x-ray because of your knuckles. Like, even though you're whatever, all my immunity stuff had been normal. She's like, maybe it is rheumatoid arthritis, which it wasn't. And she was like, I discussed, I discussed your symptoms with like a neurologist and they said it sounds fine. And I talked to the rheumatologist and they said it sounds fine. And I was like, well, I'm worried that it's going to keep getting worse because I have this pain. And right now it's when I don't sleep well, but it's happening more and more frequently because at this point it had been happening for a year. And she was like, and I had said, like, would you classify it as chronic fatigue syndrome? Having done the research that this is pretty meaningless and non-treatable, but also I stopped working last September. And I was like, I just want a word to use when I tell them why I'm stopping working because I feel crazy yeah, like and lazy and like I'm just you know, out there. So I was kind of of two minds about it. Like I'll pursue whatever I want to pursue, but I would still like a word that I can use when talking to people who do not want the details. And she was like, well, that's an elimination diagnosis. So maybe like you're saying that like you have other things you want to eliminate. You haven't eliminated anything. But you also like you don't have anything you want to test for. So and so I was like talking about the pain and she was like, yeah, well, um, if it gets worse, then we can put you on some fibromyalgia medication, which is basically antidepressants. I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going on antidepressants for something that you don't understand. Like, I think depression is complicated, certainly. And I think many people are misdiagnosed because of all of the things that we've already talked about. But, like, I am not taking a medication just because you want to give it to me so that I don't keep asking you questions, which is what's happening. Right. Um, And then at that point, I... I stopped working and at the same time, oh, I read this book Through the Shadowlands, which is, I don't know. okay, so it's a memoir written by this woman who is a science reporter uh, and she like went to MIT, she, whatever, she had like a math column and then um, she was diagnosed, she started to get sicker and sicker and ended up being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and it's a really well written book about all of the difficulties of going in to see a doctor when you expect them to help you. She's like, I am not an out there person like I have full faith in faith in science and I did not expect this to happen and like I know that my body isn't working and these doctors are trying to tell me that it's in my head like it just documents that really well and it goes into a lot of the history of stuff with the insurance insurance companies and kind of like the legacy of chronic fatigue syndrome and then she finds out in her case that avoiding mold makes a huge difference in her neurological function and fatigue levels like she can basically live pretty normally if she fully avoids mold. I was like, oh, that's a weird and interesting book. Um, and then at the same time, we left our house again. And uh, like we were, so we'd been living in San Francisco. We were in Brooklyn for a wedding, I think. And it was like, we went out for breakfast and then we're debating whether or not to go on a 15 minute walk to stop at the pharmacy. And I hadn't been able to walk that far in months. And then I could. And we were like, that's really weird. Yeah, I've had similar experience. Like uh, recently, within the past few months, I had to go to Spain for work. I say mm-hmm. had to, right? Like that's a great yeah. example of medical, how medical, like I had to go to Spain. Yeah, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Spain for work. Um, but obviously, as you can imagine, like terrified that I would be in bad condition during it. Um, and being there, I actually felt very refreshed which is exactly what a lot of people want to hear. Cause they're like, I knew you just needed a vacation. I'm like, it wasn't vacation. I was working literally the whole time I was going into work. Yeah. I suspect it probably had something to do with the food, but I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. It could have been anything. There's um, so many variables, but it's so funny that like your travel thing, I'm sure you tell people that story. It's like, they just want to be like, yeah, you got out of town, you relaxed yeah. a little bit, you let loose. And it's like, yeah, sure. Whatever you want to believe about yeah. me. Totally. Uh, it's all better now. 
but but from that we were like but maybe it is something about the house because both because we were a month before that we had been gone again and we came back and i like nosedived again um and so we were like we're gonna stay at a residence inn i have a doctor's appointment at the end of the month with this this guy who was a naturopath but it's interesting because it varies state by state Mm. so in california they can prescribe and they can order labs so which they could not in new york actually but and so that was like an interesting factor and my sister had recommended him much earlier in the process she was like this guy is like a lyme and chronic infection specialist and also handles mold um exposure and i was like i don't need to see that guy that has nothing to do with me by this point i was like sounds great like give me all the tests um and so we moved into a hotel and i was like using a mobility aid because i was having so much trouble walking and i found out when i saw him that like my knee jerk reflex had stopped working like just and i was like i'm mad that my hmo doctor didn't test that because that seems like a standard thing and maybe she would have believed me that something was wrong um but anyway uh among the things basically there was toxic mold in our house which doesn't explain everything but had i was already susceptible and so i had all of these new neurological symptoms that i'd never had before caused by the toxic mold in our house it was chitomium um And then, and we had only been living there for like six or eight months. Like it was, it was very new. And certainly the 15 hours of sleep thing was before that, but it was just a really steep decline from there. Um, And then I'm still in the like mystery situation of, I had, I've had an indeterminate Lyme test. I had, like I tested positive for a bunch of co-infections. So Babesia and Bartonella. Oh, you you were positive for those. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So I'm def- I was definitely positive for Babesia and Bartonella. So he's like, you've definitely been bit by a tick, even though you don't know. Like, I don't remember no. having been yeah. bit by a tick. And I grew up in Canada, um, in Ontario, which is certainly Lyme country, but doesn't think of itself as Lyme country, <laughs> which is true right. for like a large swath of this continent. Yeah. Um. So I'm also in this weird thing of like, uh, Babesia is related to what's it called um the thing where the medicine you take gives you creepy dreams um oh uh malaria yes babesia and malaria are like are related um infections and babesia gives you air hunger actually yeah uh and night sweats which malaria also does so that's like on one side and bartonella which i forget what it's about but they're all different but all tick-borne or including tick-borne so he's like this is probably a factor but also um, the mold compromises your immune system. So my like first Western blot that I had, it was indeterminate, but certainly some of the Lyme specific ones were positive. So he's like, this could mean something or it could be nothing because your immune system is so fucked up from the mold. Um, and then. Uh, How did they discover the mold? Like, did you literally, did he say this looks mold like, and then you had someone come to your home? So, yeah. So, <laughs> Mold is a really fun rabbit hole to go down. But uh, so we started to wonder about the house just because I read that book. And I was like, okay, I know this immediacy (laughs) thing. Like you read a book and it makes you wonder about a thing. But also my two like really obviously sickest two week periods have been after spending a week away from this house. And that Mm -hmm. seems strange, but I could also be burnt out from travel. Right. Um, And and so that we were like kind of wondering anyway, just because of that. And then there's a couple different tests that you can do so i had on the one hand there's a mold antibody test which i think many if not all of them were positive out of range but then there's also a mycotoxin test that you can do and just using the word toxin is another thing that's really hard because yeah. it's, it's a real thing but it's also a health blogger thing yeah um but like some molds produce toxins like, I mean, they all produce something, but so mostly when we think about mold and health, we're thinking about the mold spores, which are the live part of the mold, which can impact like, um, respiratory stuff, but some molds also produce toxins and this is true. And it's extremely understudied, which she talks about a lot in, uh, through the Shadowlands because she's a science researcher. And so that's kind of cool. She's like, they haven't done research about the neurological effects of mycotoxins. And she's like, and I tried to talk to people about it and I was literally hung up on yeah. She's like, I don't think of myself as like a tinfoil hat science yeah, crazy yeah. person, but like there's something going on here. And it probably has to do with the fact that insurance companies don't want to cover mold remediation. Yeah. So they are like actively funding a ton of research that will discredit any research suggesting that mold causes chronic health problems. It's so funny how 
tinfoil hatty it sounds yeah i've like i've literally used those words to doctors being like i need you to understand before i tell you any of this story that i am not a conspiracy theorist like i literally yeah. need to press like i need you to know that like i don't believe the internet and everything yeah. i tell you is based on my objective experience and like yeah this has been read off a website yeah like i'm not out there looking for yeah. stuff to get upset about but so so then the myco- mycotoxin test basically can tell you it's a urine test and it's like so the way that your body works is that when there is we do have detoxification systems. So when there is like toxic shit in your bloodstream, it gets stored in your fat cells and and then like at a, like at whatever rate your body can handle processed by the liver and kidneys. And so you can test for how much how many mycotoxins you are peeing out. So basically what's being processed by your liver and kidneys. Um and I think it tested for four and also they were all very high and one was especially high. But there isn't a one-to-one relationship between mold species and mycotoxins. So mm-hmm. just from that test alone, you can go, okay, something's happening. Um, but I don't specifically know what's causing it because it could be a few different molds producing this thing. Right. Um, but we did have a mold test done in our rental house. And this was also super frustrating. So the first guy I did, I wasn't there for either of them. So my husband was there, but the first guy who came in was the guy that my doctor recommended and our landlord didn't want him to drill holes in the walls, which is understandable, but he like walked around with a motion, not motion, sorry. Uh, like, uh, now, wow. It's getting late for my brain, but checking how much <laughs> liquid was in the walls, whatever right, you would right. call that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like a normal amount would be up to 14% moisture. Yeah. Yeah, a moisture detector. So a normal amount for a wall is up to about 14%, but all of the walls in the back of our house were at about 100. Like the thing went all the way up. And so the first mold inspector was like, I'd really love to know what's in these walls. And the landlord was like, no, thanks. I don't want to pay for that. And also we're going to get a second opinion. And so he found a different mold inspector who came in who was just like some tech who didn't know about mold, but they ran... Probably an ERMI test is the standard test. It's just like what's what spores are here, yeah. Um, and we got that back and like had no new information. But what happened much later was when we were looking for a new. We moved in with my in laws for like four months because we didn't oh, we didn't know. Well, we're very lucky because they live uh, outside Boston, but they have a house in Rhode Island, so we didn't have to like live with them. <laughs> yeah. But but we didn't want to rent a new apartment because we didn't know what to look for. Right. Um, and or like look for a house because we, again we didn't know what to look for but we ended up eventually looking for a house and we had an environmental inspection along with a regular inspection and that mold inspector looked at our San Francisco results and he was like oh this one here chitomium that's a toxic mold and like so there's no acceptable lab range for this mold so most molds of course like it's not really possible to have a totally mold free environment and there's yeah, no yeah, sure. there's no reason to want that like it's yeah, normal for some mold. amount yeah. yeah for mold to be in the environment it's like yeast but like this one is not acceptable and the spores are super heavy so whatever it tests as there's more of it than that right um and then at the same time like my in-laws had a mold test done at their house and my stepdad had a mold test done at his house and on his paperwork there was on the standard sheet like boilerplate about how to interpret the results it basically said the same thing it was like so we've put what we think are acceptable lab ranges but please know that for these two molds which is stachybotrys and chitomium there is no acceptable level Mm -hmm. so although we had whatever relatively low levels of chitomium in one of the bedrooms like that mold inspector should have flagged that. As, yeah, there should be none. Yeah. Yeah, there should be none. So so now I'm in the like, I went through mold remediation treatment, which is like, I don't know, a little bit weird, but my neurological symptoms are gone. So that's what is it? good. What's mold treatment? It's basically like enhance your detoxification pathways. So uh, yeah. who knows? Basically, right. like I take... um What's it called? It helps with your liver and it is in a goop form. Um, my brain... But it's not like it's not like heavy metals where you get like what's called chelation. chelation. No, no, yeah. no. It's like you're taking. So the process is that like, and this is why it's hard because it is true that when you have something that your body doesn't like in your bloodstream, it does put it in your fat cells. It's also the yeah. same when your hormone levels are really fucked up or whatever. Um, and so you take 
glutathione that's what it's called so glutathione is something that your body naturally produces but if your liver is overloaded then you like don't keep up so you take you supplement with liposomal glutathione which is basically like helping your liver process the shit out of your bloodstream so that it stops putting it in your fat cells because it needs to be not in your body anymore um and then I was also still and this is like the weird part so I went on prescription antifungals again for a long time and that helps so I don't know what that means if I just like am prone to a thing or yeah I think about this too with like um whenever I have to now I like because I get what I would call sick infrequently like I don't even know like I haven't been sick in years do you know what I mean like I haven't been like I have a fever and a runny nose like yeah I haven't had that since I was a child yeah and I think it's something to do with how my immune system works now but whenever I end up taking antibiotics for any reason like I took them when I had my wisdom teeth out I took them when my doctor was like you're fucked up um it seems to do something yeah but I'm like how is this related to the picture and you never find out yeah like i don't know what that means because i don't know if like candida overgrowth is a weird thing it seems it real, to mostly yeah. be an internet thing but like i know that every time i've taken antifungals it's improved everything about everything can you take antifungals indefinitely or is there a reason you can't like well some medicines you can't you know so so yeah so the one like the prescription strength one that i was taking which Right now, I forget what it is, but I've taken a couple. Nystatin, this wasn't nice. This was fluconazole. Fluconazole, um, you have to have your liver liver numbers checked every month, I want to say. Yeah. So it has a risk of causing liver damage for whatever reason. I didn't look it up. But there's also, like, and this is also any interesting fringe thing, is that, like, tea tree is antifungal and um, caprylic acid, which is in coconut oil, is antifungal. So, like, and they different fungi i guess are susceptible to different antifungals so you can pulse through them basically if you wanted to um or make an effort to like also i think this is why for me i do better when i'm on a low carb diet i just do and it sucks right now because that is the like crazy phase thing but but i notice a huge difference pretty much right away and like a gross weird thing is just when i eat sugar my mouth tastes bad Hmm. which I think suggests that like there is either a bacteria or a fungus that's just like a natural part of my makeup that is producing a byproduct that I don't like the taste of. But like, yeah, that sounds nuts and probably doesn't matter. Yeah, I wonder. Um, but so basically, like last year, especially for the month of September, which is when we were still in the house and hadn't put any of it together, um. And I was doing really, really poorly. Like, I could barely walk. I wasn't leaving the couch. I just stopped working. I was like, this might just be it. So it's one thing. My current, this just this might just be it, is like, I might always need to go to bed by 10. And like, if I don't, I'll be in pain. And I might always need to pay more attention to what I eat than other people. And like, I might not be able to, whatever, be as spontaneous. Um, but I can have a mostly functional if slower life it was like this might just be it like I have my phone and I have criminal minds on Netflix and like this might just be it um uh, I like got into new corners of the internet than I'd been in before which is like definitely more chronic illness related yeah and I was just like this I used to run a storytelling event in Toronto and it still happens um without me but like I spent a lot of time kind of doing workshops with people and it was specifically targeting things that we experience that we don't talk about so it was a lot of things about grief and a lot of things about mental health and a lot of things about like dating and relationships and it was it is called stories we don't tell but that was the point and so I got into like these other corners and I was like fuck it is unreal to me it is completely wild how common it is and how invisible it is and not just because you can't tell that somebody is sick or disabled but because how many people are homebound so it's like people are just disappearing yeah from the world and don't have a good language to even talk about it because of the thing that came up a lot today but comes up a lot all the time of like when I say I'm tired what I mean is really different than when someone else says it but there isn't really a word to distinguish yeah I mean it's interesting too because I think about you know I'm listening to what you're saying and like how it physically limits you one of the problems i always had was like i feel like i've lost so much context on what is safe like 
after the hospitalization event because it was in such close proximity to me physically exerting myself mm-hmm. that, um, you know, like for you, it sounds like you get to a point where like you will pass out eventually. Uh, and I feel like I haven't pushed myself that far, but I pushed myself far enough that like I was hospitalized with a heart issue after running around all day. Like, you like, know, I feel like I don't know what my, what the appropriate boundary is. Like how, like what are the maybe I sh- yeah, like maybe I should be pushing myself because every moment that I don't have like a serious condition happening is in my head to some extent, you know, and I, I don't know how to set those. It's a very hard boundary to set when these things are all hidden. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what, if any, maybe I'm not doing any damage. And uh, I think it's like protecting it for yourself and then also defending it. Like if you decide on a boundary, defending it when other people push it. Yeah. Which I don't have an answer to at all because I'm terrible at that. But yeah. It's I'm terrible at it with food. I'm terrible at it with like all of the things where I know what will make me generally feel better if I'm in my own environment. But if I'm not in my own environment, I'm so eager to like participate in whatever is going on because it's nice to do that. But I don't I can't predict I can't predict well what will cause like a crash and what won't. Yeah. People also I think just certain kinds of symptoms are like very um like neurological symptoms I think are particularly alienating because I don't want to talk about them, but people notice something is up mm-hmm. and then it's like, is it better to be out trying to pretend this isn't happening or better to excuse myself and leave? Yeah. Uh, it's like time to go to bed now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also hate like at one point last summer in the middle of this, I volunteered at like a, I mean, adult summer camps are a big thing, and it was, like, an adult summer camp for women. So I volunteered at that, and it was a lot of fun, and I didn't sleep well. And I've, like, gotten better at putting myself to bed early, even though I, like, want to stay up late when people are staying up late. I've just gotten better at being, like, if I don't do this, I'm going to shut down, so it's not worth it. But um, I still, like, I had a tremor the whole time because it would get much more – it would get much worse when I didn't sleep well. Right. And it was like one of my good friends was there and she kind of knew, but she didn't just like didn't absorb any of it. And I had earlier in the summer kind of been like, here's what's working for me right now. I cannot hang out after seven. I cannot like all of these things, like a long list of what's not working. And she was just like, okay, sure. And just, you know, turned away from it. And then she like gave me a hug for some reason. And she was like, you're really shaking. Like, yes, I am. My body is not working. Like that long list of things that I gave you wasn't because I was just tr- yeah. trying to make some fun rules. And and it's like by the end of the weekend as a volunteer, I mean, we were like doing cleanup. And like after three days of being in this immersive environment with people, like I just couldn't stand anymore. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go lie down on the ground while you guys do this. And I'm going to hope that you have enough context to not think that I'm just like an impatient jerk. But yeah. I'm not, I can't do it anymore. Um, so it's, it's so just difficult to communicate it to people. Um, yeah. People want to not believe you. Yeah. You know, like, and I, not like a rude way. They like, there's some kind of weird mental block when it comes to health where like, I feel like it almost comes from like a good place. Like they want you to be wrong. They mm-hmm. want you to be like better. You know, it's like, no, like, you can overcome this it's just and then eventually though that turns into bitterness because they're just like you don't want to overcome this like you don't want to just get over it you're not trying hard enough yeah yeah Yeah. and i think i think there's like one that they yeah want that for you and two they don't want to believe that something this like random and debilitating that they've never heard of could happen because if it can happen to you it can happen to them yeah, because imagine is more how, cynical, different, but... how different your experience with doctors is than theirs, right? Like, oh you know, God. like they've ne- you know, like most people have never experienced, they've never had to have that faith severely broken. Like maybe they've had a bad doctor or a weird experience, um, but like they've never been as disrespected probably as you have by a doctor. And just dismissed. I mean, even so at that time a year ago, so before I knew what was going on, but I had just like 
walked 15 minutes straight for the first time in months um uh, and we were in New York and it was like one of my friend's birthdays so we went to a bar in Brooklyn of all places and I had just decided to do this like I think I did my first two interviews then but it took me this long to actually get it out there because of everything else that happened and um and I was like talking about it because I had just a couple people there knew that I was starting to do this and some guy that I've met a couple times but don't really know he was so confused by everything about it. So I was like, well, you know, like people, they end up going to a lot of doctors and it's just tracing that story because it's so difficult to get a doctor to take you seriously. And he was like, if a doctor takes you seriously, why wouldn't you just find a better doctor? I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, like your experience of health and medicine is so far away and you don't, either you don't know anybody or anybody that you know has not been able to tell you about it because that's not how everybody experiences medicine. And it's a really big problem because there's a huge empathy gap that you could not even realize that there are people who are sick in a way that doctors just ignore them. Yeah. I do also wonder how much of it is just like, how many people are just very, very sick, but like are not in a position to realize that they are not similar to other people Mm -hmm. and are told that they're like, I'm imagining someone in the same situation I'm in without the means on the one hand they're suffering on the other hand maybe they just don't address it right like that's something that makes this challenging for me right like one of the things that I'm like ashamed of and I'm like yeah if I didn't have the resources maybe I just wouldn't realize that like most people didn't feel like shit and like I never would have found out anything that I know about myself I would just be like living with it yeah, I would just be alive, feeling shitty, and it wouldn't matter, you know? Like, it's almost like the there's something almost oppressive about the ability to dig in. It gives you the responsibility to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that's like an alarming feeling, too, because it's just like, that's very validating of people who have the get over it mindset. They're just like, yeah, plenty of people like you can't afford to see a doctor. I'm like, you're right. That's probably true. I think it's true. And I also think like plenty of people are doing are doing way worse than we realize, way more out of sight. So there are a lot of people who are living on social assistance who have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or any of these catch-all diagnoses who don't have the means or social capital to go out and dig deeper and like are just at home. They don't leave their houses and it's like this is and this is on the internet like in Facebook groups this is like the sad edge of chronic illness to me not that I'm out here like demanding optimism from everybody because I don't think that's the point but there's this whole like whole other thing of like yeah I've been saving up for months to go see the only specialist in my state and like one he might recommend a treatment that I can't afford because well you're exactly in that position. But like, I've talked to other people who are like, yeah, we were out of pocket $60,000 for my medication for a year. Like if you don't, you might be able to save up the money to see a specialist, but that doesn't mean you'll have the money to pursue treatment. Yeah. I do feel jaded by the experience now. Like, you know, because of, because of the, the benefits I've had, it makes it so hard for me to like, step back and really look at the issue as something like solvable. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like what allows me to accept it is that I've been fortunate. Yeah. Like what allows me to accept it is that I've been financially lucky. Yeah. Well, and that's like a huge, I have been too, like for sure. Like yeah. my, I mean, last September when I was basically like barely functioning, and didn't know what was going on. My father-in-law was like, I need you to do whatever it takes. Like, because he like, I mean, he whatever, like worked in finance and he was like, yeah, plenty of guys that I know, they just go to the Mayo Clinic for their executive checkup. It's the one where you just pay five grand and for three days they run all the tests. I mean, it's for 65 year old men, but he was just like, go do that. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, go get whatever tests that you need to get done so that somebody can tell you what's next. And of course, I mean, one, super privileged. Two, that tells you about his outlook, that he thinks that that's 
That's how it goes. That's how it goes because he doesn't hasn't experienced it not going that way. Yeah. Um, but I also think there are a lot of people who live who it's weird because then that that also creates hope. So I think there are a lot of people who don't have access to healthcare who are often who think that that is what will make the difference. Right. That there's a doctor somewhere who can figure it out. Yeah. But like, I don't, I have talked to enough people who are like, including you, but like I've talked to other people too, who it's like access to doctors isn't the problem. There's still a problem, which I don't know. I don't think that it means anything specific, but I think it matters. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder. I I'm in a very weird place with like how much have I been guilted into thinking that this is fine versus, you know, like I really, I really feel like I've lost all sense of context. Yeah. Like what is fine? What is not fine? What should be sucked up? Yeah. Oh yeah. I like do a lot of gut checking where I'm like, I really like, I really am sick in these things, right? Like I'm not just decided that I like lying around or that I like really love whatever Mandy Patinkin or something yeah. like, like, no, I want to be working. I, Cause I still like, I don't have a full-time job. I am doing yeah. contract work or whatever. Like I have my own stuff that I'm doing, but like, I don't think that it's a good idea for me to recommit to a normal schedule because I still wake up in pain like one out of every nine or 10 days. Yeah, it is funny when I like every once in a while I get reminded, like I can't, I think I was talking like a friend recently and I was talking about how like on some days when I like can't get out of bed for a long time and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm depressed. And my friend's like, I don't know, like I've been depressed and like I eventually can get up. Like, and then it puts in context, I'm like, well, yeah, you do have these other health conditions. Maybe it's related. You don't feel depressed. Like, uh, and I start to wonder again, I'm like, yeah, I guess that could be a concrete symptom, but like, it doesn't feel like one. Yeah. You don't want to like, I can feel the skepticism when I tell people, you know? Yeah. The answer is to only talk to people who have experienced chronic illness to really adjust your context. I feel like even then, like, it's such a strong, the desire for other people, the desire to tell people, well, have you tried this? Is it this? Is so powerful, mm-hmm. you know, like, even with other people, you know, like, I feel like it takes something. So there's a guy at work that I work with who's got um, what's called complex regional pain. He had a surgery that like went wrong with gotcha. his ankle yeah. and developed like a chronic pain issue mm-hmm. um and like he's at all times in like a state of devastating pain. like he's on painkillers 100 mm-hmm. he recently had like a box put in his spine to like do some kind of nerve therapy where it like numbs the nerve by sending electrical pulses down it and like mm-hmm. there's something so concrete about his problem that it allows me to like really anchor on and be like that guy must know what it's like yeah but I feel like people with my story, I feel like I feel the urge. It's like the same thing as like when you do like bias adjusting for yourself, when you're like reminding yourself of all the biases to be careful of when you're listening to someone speak. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that way when I talk to people with similar experiences to mine where I'm like, picture yourself. Like, this is what you sound like. Like, this is not fake. Like, you know, and it's yeah. so, it's so much it feeds into my, like, I understand why doctors don't believe me. You know, my, my like, self-pitying attitude. Like, I get it. They shouldn't believe me. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, like, I understand what sounds weird or nuts about it. But, yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, yeah, I don't, not that you're asking for one, but I definitely don't know the answer to that. But I do think, <laughs> like, yeah. that's why I like, I like finding books about it that are not necessarily advice-based. Because I think... Yeah this is a health blogger thing, but it's a lot of people who write too. It's like, once you found something that works for you, for a lot of people, their inclination is to be like, well, everybody should try this right. because it, I, I was in so much pain before. And if it helped me, I can't keep that to myself. I wanted to help everybody. Right. And it's like, I mean, I understand that inclination completely, but it's what we need is better research. Yeah. Like in general. And, um, and so I think that's like an interesting thing. Yeah. Talking to people when people are able to check that a little bit, but then it's hard when you're like, okay, but I don't want to tell people what helped me because I know that it sounds nuts. So like, 
I feel whatever. Like I even so I've had a chronic sinus infection forever. Right. And the guy was like, okay, before we put you, I don't want to put you on antibiotics because you're on antifungals. And like mm-hmm. doing both is a problem. Like, because when you take antibiotics, you're creating room for fungal overgrowth. So like right. we have to manage one before we do the other. So I'm not putting you, it was the same with like, you might have Lyme. We're not putting you on Doxy because we have to treat the fungal infection first. Anyway. And so he was like, so here's what we're going to do. You're going to do steam inhalations of tea tree and eucalyptus oil. And he's like, just try it. And I did. And it fucking helped. So I'm like, okay, great. There Um, are a lot of people on the internet who are on both sides of the essential oils thing. Like people who are like, nobody needs medication when you can use essential oils. And people who are like, never talk to me about essential oils, you idiot quacks. the devil, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, honestly, I woke up and my nose was running for the first three three hours of every morning for eight years. And it doesn't do that anymore. And the only thing that I did was inhale eucalyptus and tea tree every morning. And like, I don't know. And people still don't want to, it's still so hard to confront someone with that. Yeah. It's like, even with the proof, like knowing you experienced it, because I feel like they automatically project you into exactly what you were just saying not to do. They are in it. They throw you to like, and so everyone should do it. You know, yeah. like they, they put you in that position already. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. You're probably on the internet telling people to inhale this shit. Like, yeah. And I'm not uh, like, yeah. Like, I mean, I use Twitter for like this kind of thing, but I, for saying that for being like a weird thing that happened is that this worked for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never being like everybody go out and do it. But like it's hard because it's hard to talk about it because you're because it undermines your credibility like as a for person. Sure. Yeah, I mean, do you? So like, I really feel like for me, the whole the idea that like you have a broken immune system but it's not a disease thing was like in all this time not something I had thought about. Um, you know, you had said that you feel like better research is a direction to go down. Do you feel that? Like it really shattered kind of this illusion I had around the idea that there are undiagnosed conditions in the world mm-hmm. and made me lean more towards like people are broken in different, potentially unique ways. I think when I say better research, I think I mean more in terms of like lifestyle adjustments and other kinds of treatment mm. as opposed to like learning how to name every condition. I mean, I think someone's going to want to do that anyway. So I'm sure that that research is happening. But like, I, one place that I, my faith is definitely broken in the ph- pharmaceutical industry. Like, yeah, for sure. And so, and the way that that informs how diagnosis happens, like doctors only want to diagnose something that they already know a drug to prescribe. That's been my experience. And so I'm not, and this is, again, this is where it's like hard to talk about. I'm not out there being like, all drugs are evil. No one should ever take a medication. But at the same time, I've, and I've had other stuff that I didn't talk about where like I was diagnosed with something that I didn't have and then told that I would just have to take a medication for the rest of my life. And then it like, when I stopped taking that medication and did some other stuff, it cleared up on its own with a doctor, which the doctor expressly told me that it wouldn't. I'm like, okay, so here's what I think. Like it's fucked up that I can follow advice from the internet because I'm desperate. And sometimes it works. Like, yeah, what if we invested some serious capital in figuring out what weird internet advice worked? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, I guess, you know, when I, when I was saying like the naming thing, I meant less like labeling and more like I used to have way in the beginning, I used to look at forums of people and be like, all of these people probably have the same problem. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like fundamentally the cause for a lot of it, like there's probably a few things out there that are causing these that we just haven't discovered yet. Like some, some biome thing or some, some constellation of problems that lead to this constellation of symptoms. Um, but now I'm more of the mind, like perhaps these are not at all like, you know, the, the scarier thought in a way is like, no one is using the same words to describe anything. And all these people with similar symptoms are very unlikely to be treated with the same thing. And also because of the language problem, we can't actually know that anybody needs the same thing. Right. Um, So, you know, now I'm wondering more like how far along does personalized medicine have to get to be effective, right? Because it's like, you know, I'm probably... 
I don't lay awake thinking about this, but my brain does this funny thing where like, I think about objective knowledge. Like I'm like, objectively, there's a, the thing that's wrong. Like I'll think about this in the shower and I'm like, right now you're dizzy. Like there is literally a cause, Yeah. you know, there's some objective cause. Like if you could zoom in, do like a, what was that show called where like the bus gets really small and the teacher takes magic school bus. Yeah. The magic school bus. Like if you could magic school bus, this there's a thing in my ear attached to a nerve to my brain. And this constellation of brain systems is makes you feel like this. And like, you know, there's a literal something. Well, like, and with shower dizziness specifically, which I understand was not your actual question. Yeah. yeah. But like shower dizziness specifically is also is for me is related to dishonor, like is POTS which is a form of dysautonomia, right? Which is like, you're upright and it just got hotter and now your autonomic nervous system is mad. But like being able to call that symptom POTS still doesn't resolve anything because POTS is a symptom. So there's that S for syndrome again. Like, Yeah, exactly. And then like, you know, it's funny because then you get closer and further away. Like I had a doctor who recognized that my blood pressure changed 20 points when I was laying down versus standing up. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you have some kind of auto- autonomic nervous system dysfunction. Um, so that gets me closer. I'm like, okay, yeah. So there's like some quote unquote objective like explanation. Like there's a, there's a something there, there, there's a something happening. Um, but then I, you know, after this whole thing with uh, the Dr. Najar stuff, I'm like, it seems very likely that many people are just, you know, they're, perhaps the diversity of underlying causes is unfathomably large to the point that most of these people who are suffering would not be solved with better doctoring. Yeah. Right? Like there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way we are able to diagnose, you know, like we would have we to think have about much- what that even means a much deeper understanding of the mechanics of a form of discomfort mm-hmm. to treat these things, yeah. you know, like for, you know, and, and it's like, there's so many avenues, right? Like it could be a state problem, like literally the state of your body right now. It could be like some burden is imposed in your body that if we just knew where to look, we could find the bacteria or the mold or the whatever. It could be a genetic thing. Something's flipped on or off or more likely 50 things are in a pattern that's bad. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these different things, it's like, you know, one day in like the year 3000, when like we hopefully still exist, it's like, uh, yeah, you get in a machine and beep, bop, boop, it like somehow checks these things. But uh, today, there's absolutely no connection between any set of under, you know, objective states that we're able to measure and a particular bad outcome. And like most numbers that we have still don't really mean anything. So like, yeah, because it's like plenty of people who test certain ways. Okay, so a thing that I have not read very much about that I've heard is like the way that we used to think about Alzheimer's disease is that it's plaque on the brain. But mm-hmm. as a ter- and but and up until very recently, it couldn't be diagnosed until autopsy. And most people who had been diagnosed with probable Alzheimer's were never autopsied. So this was this hypothesis that was out there that like not that many people were doing the legwork on. And as it turns out, there are a lot of people who have plaque in their brain who do not show symptoms of Alzheimer's. So mm. it is looking more and more likely that the plaque and the Alzheimer's or like the plaque and the dementia are not related. We just thought they were because it looked like an explanation. They're co-correlated with something. Yeah. And so in the same way, like, okay, being in this family of fatigue things. So like chronic fatigue syndrome is a great way of looking at it because it is certainly like a, a cluster of people and a cluster of symptoms um, and chronic fatigue and fibro, which are effectively the same, but one is with pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the things that seem to me in common are mostly infection related. So it does look like an immune problem, but could it possibly be what you're saying? Like incredibly unique. So yeah, like I was indeterminate for Lyme, positive for Bartonella, possible, wow, late, Um, positive for Babesia, but like also positive for both of the monoviruses. So my CMV one of the indicators so like the old one not the new one um was very high and also for my ebv so like cool cool both of those but like i had mono so is it just telling us that i had mono or is it telling us that my immune system is doing a bad job right now like it has certainly been compromised but yeah 
Is I mean, this what's compromising it, or is this just a number that isn't impacting anything? Well, we have like very blunt to like there's only so many senses, mm-hmm. right? So we have these very blunt tools for communicating what's wrong. Like think of the wide array of my stomach hurts. Yeah. Right? Like that's a language problem and a sensation problem because it's like the language problem is hurts can describe a million different things. Like, are you nauseous? Is it stabbing pain? Is it blunt pain? What, like, is it discomfort? Right? So that's the word problem. And then the sensation problem is like, my body doesn't have a sensation for, I have a tumor. Like, you know, I don't have a sensation for like, I have an ulcer. I just have these blunt sensations. So like, you know, it makes me wonder too, like, all of these people who share symptoms, I mean, maybe one day we'll have a a level of like symptom detection that's like beyond subjective. But until that point, it's, uh, you know, you can't explain something to someone who hasn't experienced it. There's no way of comparing symptoms across patients. Yeah, across people or two doctors. And also in that specific example, we, and English is worse for this, like, stomach is not a good word because we yeah. use we don't use it anatomically so like yeah, yeah, there yeah. is your stomach organ and then there is the region of your body that we call the stomach mm-hmm. and they're not even in the same place yeah which is funny which is like other some other languages have different words for that which is confusing but like yeah. if you say that your stomach hurts it could be just about any of your organs like you don't most people aren't distinguishing there yeah so it makes me wonder like um how diagnosable is anything based on symptoms, you know? Yeah. Like, well, and symptoms are, so a different book that I have over there called Why Can't I Get Better, I think, <laughs> um, which is like, it's definitely Lyme related, but he's, he talks about it as MSIDS, but it's basically like a multi-system, yeah, the eye is probably immuno, but I forget. You know, deficiency. Yeah, basically. But he just like is like here, based on what I know right now, and he's like a Lyme doctor in upstate New York. Um, but he's not like everybody has Lyme. He's just like, here are the things that are really common among all of the different people that I see. So they express differently in all these different ways. But like it, there's partly environmental. He's like the book is divided into all this different stuff. And it's super, super comprehensive because he's just like I don't think there's one thing I think it's that we're all being impacted differently and it's like our environments have changed so much our food system has changed so much all of these things and like not everybody's affected and that's great but we're because of this like more people are affected by all of this shit yeah and it's really hard to parse out but kind of like here are the tools that we have which aren't always testing sometimes the tools are trying out treatments and seeing if they work yeah which like glutathione which is the thing that i take one of the things that i take has been very helpful for me and he has examples of doing it intravenously where he's like this person came in and she looked drunk because she could barely walk and we put her on an iv and then she could like walk and talk again and it was like well her liver got backed up just like why we don't know but like she has a body where that is what happens her liver cannot keep up with her toxic load yeah yeah, I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm saying, but, you know, like I agreed, like, it's like, how can we, that's just, her liver was broken, you know, like, and not, not in a way that's like, this is cirrhosis or, yeah. you know, not a, not a specifically pre-diagnosed thing. It's like a, a functional deficit. It's systemic. Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Okay, we went way over time. I'll give it's, you some of your life back. Yeah, it's also, my, it's definitely my bedtime. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of No End in Sight. I've still got more interviews recorded for future episodes, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy Thanksgiving to all of you in the United States. If you're spending the holiday with other people, I hope you can enjoy the day with as little stress as possible. I, for one, will be trying to balance my need to follow my diet and go to bed early with my strong desire to participate in one of my favorite holidays. To be honest, this will probably mean drinking wine and staying up past 9 o'clock, but avoiding the grains on the table. I am definitely going to be making myself some sweet potato biscuits that are grain-free. And if you have any excellent alternative Thanksgiving dishes that I might be able to steal come Christmas time, please share them with me at BennisB on Twitter and Instagram. If these stories have been resonating with you, then I would love to hear your story. At this point, I've interviewed a lot of straight, cis, white women, and I'd particularly love to talk to people with other perspectives. 
I also have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed in some capacity. It's pretty small right now, but I'd love for it to become a place where we dig into all the questions about working and running a business while prioritizing your health. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. I'm running a buy one, get one free sale for Black Friday, so I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.